Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Mike Norris is here to talk about his new children's book, Ring Around the Moon, Mommy Goose Rhymes. Nope, I I didn't misspeak. I said Mommy Goose Rhymes, not Mother Goose. And Mike will explain the differences and why he chose that title. Uh, This is Mike's uh, second career. I'll talk with him about his life before children's books, the music he plays, and the presentations he makes uh, representing the Kentucky Humanities as a member of our Speakers Bureau. Mike, welcome to Think Humanities. Thank you, Bill. So how did a, an Eastern Kentucky Appalachian boy from Jackson County end up being a children's author? Well, I'd have to say if I'm honest, and I'll try to be honest, it was an accident. I, uh, most of my life I've written, but I've written more songs than I have uh, prose, although I've written prose and poetry. But uh, I became a children's author because of Mikhail Baryshnikov. <laughs> the uh, Russian uh, ballerina? Uh, the Russian dancer, yes, uh-huh. and, and later a movie star. And how that happened was like this. Uh, I was working at Center College at the time, and uh, Baryshnikov was coming to the Norton Center to perform and do some master classes for some uh, students who were interested in dance, but also that weekend, Minnie Adkins was coming to get the Norton Award for Achievement in the Arts. And I normally wouldn't have worked that weekend, but it was so fraught with activity that they said, gosh, we're going to have to be going around with Brishnikov, introducing him to people, some of whom could give large sums of money to the <clears> college. Why don't you squire Minnie and her husband Garland around? And here's where language comes into it, because you grew up in Jackson County. You speak Eastern Kentucky. <laughs> You Somebody were, didn't really say that to you, did well, they? Well, not in those words, but yes, that was, that was the thrust of it. Well, tell us before we go any farther, uh, who Minnie Adkins was at that time and, um, and who she is today. Well, Minnie, even then, and that was 1992, was a well-known uh, woodcarver, folk artist. She had been featured in Millard Lampell's book, O Appalachia, Artists of the Southern Mountains, and that kind of launched her career. She had a chapter in that book, and when it came out, people started journeying to Isonville from all over the country and occasionally from outside of the country to, to look at her work and to buy her work. Where exactly is Isonville? It's in Elliott County, and uh, to describe where it is, I would say it is where nothing much else is. It's, it's a very small place, and if you don't look close, you'll, you'll miss it. And she had always worked from her home? She uh, lives just a stone's throw from where she was born, but she's not lived there all her life. It's the classic Appalachian story of out-migration when in Fairborn, Ohio, when work would open up, construction work particularly, her husband Garland, they would move up there, take their son out of school, work, do well for six months, a year, then that work would dry up. They would come back to uh, Elliott County and maybe have to draw on employment. And, uh, but, and a lot of times she's told me, you know, I've said people would buy her folk art even before she was discovered, but they would buy it for ridiculously low prices. She said, I've set up all night many a time 
try to, to get the art done, to sell it, to pay the electric bill. And describe for us um, the Minnie Atkins uh, of, of the 90s and, and the work that she was doing even before that uh, in Eisensville, the work that she was doing to, to pay the light bill. Well, she does a lot of, uh, she did a lot of animals. She was known for her horses, uh, iconic horses, uh, possums, uh, roosters. And I will say, uh, now she's known for her bright blue roosters, but she never did a blue rooster until we did the book Bright Blue Rooster. Mm. So that came from that. But she all, and a lot of her work has a comic, cheerful quality mm -hmm. that draws you to it, but it's not all that way. She also does uh, a Noah's Ark and a Daniel's in the Lion's Den that are very reverent and very solemn. And many can, uh, she started when she's just a little over five, and that's been almost 80 years ago. She can carve pretty much whatever she wants to carve at this point. Her work is um, available uh, in many places. Uh, the place that I saw it, uh, I'm thinking now most recently, well, it, it has been on display in uh, Lexington at uh, several places, but uh, the uh, Artisan Center in Berea, uh, just off the interstate, has a, a great uh, variety of her work uh, for sale there. In 1992 or, or thereabouts, did is that the first time you'd met her? That was, and I will say that we had this kind of instant chemistry. And uh, you asked me how I got started writing children's books. Well, Minnie is the most generous person in the world. And she was wearing these carved animals necklaces she had made. And some, pe some people would say, well, I love that necklace. Well, here, honey, just take it home. Oh, with goodness. And give it to them. Yeah. End of the weekend, she heard I played guitar. She had brought some pieces with She gave me a blue guitar she'd carved. I thought, I've got to give her something, so I gave her a cassette tape I'd recorded a couple of years earlier. And she called me up after about a week and said, I wish you hadn't given me that tape. And I said, well, why? And she said, well, it's got the song on it called The Bright Blue Rooster, and I can't quit thinking about it, and it's aggravating me. <laughs> I said, well, just lay down rest. Maybe you'll feel better. And <laughs> in about a week, I got this box, and here was this beautiful rooster with this plumed oh, tail goodness. that she would just carved. And gave it to me, I guess, to get it out of her head. Yeah. I put it up on my mantle, and then every time I'd walk by, I couldn't get it out of my head. And about a week later, I called her up. I said, Minnie, you've carved the bright blue rooster. If you'd carve the bright blue rooster, then go on and carve the three-legged hog, the wore-out tractor, the no-count dog, the old goat that rocked in the rocking chair. You do them all, I believe we can do a children's book. And the boxes started arriving one week at a time. Really? And 20 years later, that we, she had sickness, or her husband got cancer, and many things happened, but, uh, but that's how we got started. That's an amazing story. Now, you were not writing children's books before that time? No, I was writing mainly songs. Uh, I've always played in a band, and I play, I, at, at, at that time, when I wrote that song, I was playing with a band called the Raggedy Robin String Band, and uh, we, uh, we were together about 10 years, and we appeared on the CBS miniseries Bluegrass that was filmed here in Lexington. And then after that, a group called Billy Blues. We recorded four CDs, so it was always songs, but with the Bright Blue Rooster, and that, that book was very well received, and so we just continued on from there. Did you learn your uh, musical talent uh, in uh, 
Jackson County or when you were growing up or from other uh, musicians that you were around when you were a kid? Definitely. Uh, I, had, I had a friend named Leslie Smith, but we nicknamed everybody up there. We called him Magoo because he's kind of sleepy-eyed looking. He can't, I was in the pool room one day. I wasn't supposed to be in there. He weren't, he was supposed to be 18. Yeah. So I, naturally I wanted to go. And I think I was about 14. And I didn't know Leslie very well. He came up to me and he said, uh, I hear you have a record player. And I said, yeah, I do. I have the little 45. And he said, well, I've got an album. He said, but I don't have a record player. He said, I think you'd really like it. And I said, well, don't you bring it to the house and play it? And he did. And it was one of the best albums that's ever been recorded, and not a lot of people know about it. It was called The Wham of That Memphis Man by a guitar player and singer named Lonnie Mack, who is guitar players like Keith Richards and Eric Clapton, and a lot of people will point to him as, as a master. And We started listening to that and uh, just fell in love with it and then started going here in bands, and that's how I got started. So... That was uh, your your education uh, uh, from public schools there in the uh, in Jackson uh, County, and uh, tell me a little bit about that, and then then uh, eventually we're going to get back to to Center College and uh, uh, where you started your children's book career. So what what happened in between? Well, uh, in Jackson County, both my parents were teachers. And some people might think that's ideal. I didn't exactly view it that day because you always had to watch your, your behavior. My father was a history teacher as well as a basketball and baseball coach. He was not a typical coach in that he was every bit as passionate about history as he was sports. And my mother taught home economics. And I had, uh, I, once I remember, uh, a professor and he was at my, from my alma mater, did a ranking of the counties, livability and educational resources, medical, and he ranked Jackson County 120th out of 120. Well, uh, it's true that there were a lot of things we were lacking, but I had two or three great teachers, and I think that's really all it takes. We had a tiny library, but it was more than one person could read, and uh, my father had a little two chef uh, stack of books and he had mostly Zane Gray Westerns but he had two great books in there and one of them was Oliver Twist and I made my way through that at age 12 as best I could. I couldn't understand it all but I got I got the feel of the, those foggy London streets and then the other one he had was The Grapes of Wrath and when I read that at about 14 I knew that one way or another I wanted to write. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you were uh, finished a school, a public school there, and, and went to college where? At Eastern. I was offered a scholarship to Eastern. And really, that wasn't even a topic for discussion up there because very few people went to college. But they just assumed you would go to Eastern. For example, if somebody asked you just after you graduated, well, what are you going to do next year? Well, I'm, I'm going to college. And they'd say, well, how far is it to Richmond? Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. was just an assumption. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I stayed on there. Uh, they told me when I graduated, if I would continue and get a master's, they'd continue my scholarship and I could teach. And I was playing in a band, and I, I liked that setup. Mm -hmm. And I did that. And then I taught, at, taught English at Berea Community School for two years. 
Then I went back and did more graduate work at the University of South Carolina where they had a very active creative writing program with James Dickey and William Price Fox and mm. quite, quite a well-known English department. Mm-hmm. And what brought you back to Kentucky? Well, uh, after graduate school, I got a job working uh, first for a software development company with the unfortunate name PMS. It didn't mean what it means today. They later changed it to policy management. I was in uh, technical documentation, but then I got a job at a publishing company where I learned a lot about how you put a magazine together, which has been very helpful in, in doing children's books. But I always wanted to get back to Kentucky, and that's the classic story. Somebody can go to Detroit and work in the automobile factories for 30 years, and they say, where do you live? Well, my home is in Jackson County, and I, I always wanted to get back. All my relatives were here. So in 1980, I had a week to find a job, and I came back, and I hit it hard. I didn't turn up anything until Friday. And then I found there was a Loyal Jones at Berea said, we don't have anything here, but I hear they've got an opening in the communications department at Center. So I headed over there, got that job, and ended up doing it for 31 years. All this time you were playing music and writing songs? Yes. Uh, all this time the Raggedy Robin String Band was the, was the first one. We went about 10 years. And then Billy Blues with Mark Lucas and Colin Raytier and David White, who's was the drummer for the Metropolitan Blues All-Stars. Uh, we played together about 10 years. And uh, so there's always, and now with these books, I always write a song to go with each book. And so I do solo and I'm my own band, but I play harmonica on a rack and guitar. And uh, I do find that I always like to be well rehearsed when we played in the band. But when you play solo, you need to be even a little better well rehearsed because if a mistake is made, there's no ambiguity about who made it. Mm-hmm. How long were you at Center? I worked there 31 years. I, really, I'm still there because I have an office in Emeritus House. So, And tell us, uh, I read about that, tell us uh, about Emeritus House. Well, Emeritus House is something I feel very grateful for, and I, I'll say that everybody who's there is grateful for a long-term faculty member or occasionally a staff member that's worked there a long time and really wants to uh, can apply for and get an office in Emeritus House, which is a hundred-plus-year-old building, wonderful setting. And we have uh, coffee every Monday morning at 9. And the guiding rule as to whether we have it or not is if the earth is rotating, we have it. (laughs) And so we, we come in, and you may have anywhere from six or seven to 15 people, all of whom are an expert at least in one thing or more. And it's a very wide-ranging conversation. It may be everything from local politics to the best thing to keep the leaves out of your gutters to neutrinos to uh, quark theory. So uh, (laughs) it's a very stimulating place to be. So back to uh, to 1992 and and Minnie and uh, Baryshnikov and um, the the start of really a um, a career, and I think when we uh, another career when we left the uh, the story, uh, many had sent you a, a big blue rooster, and and you had pledged to to do something uh, in verse and song for her, and and pick it up from there. Well, uh, the the bright blue rooster, I wrote that before I ever met many, but when she read it, she had a kind of a, uh, 
crisis of identity. It wasn't her identity, it was mine. Of course, when I squared her around, I was all suited and tied. And yet, when she heard that song on the cassette tape, got a bright blue rooster and a three-legged hog, a wore-out tractor and an old-count doggy, she said, that didn't sound like that was coming from you. She said, I thought you was somebody, but you're just one of us. And I said, that's exactly right, Manny. I was just passing. Yeah. And so uh, we, uh, so I had already done that, but when we, uh, we did a little self-published version of that book first, we sent it, we had a, a agent who took it to some New York publishers, and they looked and they were interested. We had two of them very interested, but they said, uh, this is the kind of Eastern Kentucky tale that doesn't work end with a wedding and roses and sunshine. It's the kind of tale where things start off bad, then they get worse, then they get really bad, and the conclusion is they get so terrible you can't even believe it. That's the climax. But it's kind of like the Mexican Day of the Dead. It's, it's taken by people who understand it as humorous. Uh -huh. But the, the uh, publishing companies, the two of them, they said, well, this is far too sad for children. And uh, if you'll change the ending, we'll, let's talk further. And I talked to Minnie, and she said, no, that's what we've done. Let's just, let's just do it ourselves. And since then, I've presented that song to literally hundreds, if not thousands, of children. Never had one think it's sad. They react in a, you know, in a humorous way. It got so cold that the moon turned blue, and that was the day that the mortgage come due. So we, we did a self-published version of that, and they sold out right away. And then Minnie started, her husband, Garland, became very ill, and that occupied her for a good while. And uh, but I, given the reaction, did she stop uh, carving at that point? She, she only for a few weeks. I, I think Minnie has to carve to mm -hmm. be to be satisfied. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of amazing to watch her work because she'll carry on. She could do this interview with you and make an animal mm -hmm. and never miss a beat. What kind of wood does she use? She uses something called basswood or linwood. It's mm -hmm. a very soft wood. And therefore, she can work it very quickly with her knife. And it's not; she's not making little precise movements. She's mm -hmm. cutting it with big, broad strokes. And mm -hmm. at first, you think she's just whittling it away to nothing. But very soon, you say, oh, that's a bear. Mm -hmm. It's almost like watching somebody sketch. Hmm. Hmm. That's amazing. And I, I would uh, like to suggest that people either see uh, some of her work uh, in person, uh, touch it, feel it, buy it, or just look at the, uh, the pictures and... Uh, I'm going to also, uh, this might be a good time to, to bring in uh, the conversation about the work that you do at Kentucky Humanities in our Speakers Bureau. And uh, part of your presentation is, is sort of describing uh, that, Kentucky Stories, Music, and Folk Art. Uh, is that what you do? And you have a, a projector, so you're showing some of these characters? Uh, yes, yes. We, we, I have a PowerPoint. Now, it's not the kind of PowerPoint where I put three points on the board and then repeat them. Mm -hmm. I show the pictures and then mm -hmm. turn it off and then talk. And we do stories. We do the uh, poems uh, that are in the Mommy Goose books, and I'll do the songs that go with them. And uh, I did one recently, uh, a, a Kentucky Proud evening here in Lexington, and a friend came over uh, from Emeritus House, a retired French and German philosophy teacher, and he uh, made me feel good. He said, you know, you've got, it's, it's kind of like a, an opera. Well, it's, it's very far from an opera in the tone, 
but there is story, there are visuals, and there's music, and and that's that's in every presentation. Um, so we'll talk uh, more about your what you do for Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau in just a moment, but um, you then. In writing, uh, let's pick it up where where Minnie is. Uh, did, did her husband pass at that point? He, he did. Cancer? Yes, yeah. he passed. Uh huh. Did not that you were ever disconnected from her, but you renewed that uh, that friendship and that that working arrangement, um, and and uh, began to write. You've written without her um, involvement, have you not? Um, or, or the the what is this the third or fourth book this is the fourth with many is right. that correct that's right uh-huh. that's right and i would say that during the sickness of her husband many and i once we made acquaintance we never lost connection and we've been together not only for artistic projects but for personal support mm-hmm. and just as close friendships the times when that are really hard uh, if anything we're we're closer together uh and maybe when things are real busy. So you heard me at the uh, very beginning of the introduction talk about uh, mommy rhymes, right. mommy goose rhymes, right. and not mother goose rhymes. Can you uh, can you can give me and our listeners the explanation of that? Well, mother goose goose hails from England, but mommy goose comes straight out of eastern Kentucky. And the reason she's mommy, at least in Jackson County where I grew up. I used to kind of remark on it when I was a young boy. A 65-year-old man would say, I've got to go check on mommy. That's just the word that was used. So mommy is a very succinct way of of letting the reader know that mommy goose is an Appalachian bird. Like cows love corn, she loves words. She says corn can be yellow, blue, or white, and words change colors in different light. To talk like your flock is no disgrace. Just use the right word in the right place. <laughs> so Mommy Goose is all about words and language and about taking pride in your dialect. What are the other... Um, now, this book is published um, uh, just recently by the University Press of Kentucky. Were your other books uh, published by UPK? The last one, the one before this, uh-huh. Rhymes from the Mountains, was... And the first two, A Bright Blue Rooster and Sunny the Monkey, were uh, published by Joy Books out of Missouri. So what is the, if you, if you had to, um, uh, to describe uh, the other books and then lead up to uh, this latest book uh, on Ring Around the Moon, uh, I guess we better tell the, uh, the title of, of that, uh, uh, Ring Around the Moon, Mommy Goose Rhymes. Uh, so... Talk about your other books and, and how this book is different and, and uh, maybe talk a little bit about Ring Around the Moon. Okay. Well, uh, Bright Blue Rooster is a, uh, some people would call it a nonsense story, although if you, if you look at it, the nonsense rhymes, like Gene Ritchie used to do Nottoman Town, if you look at them hard, they sort of begin to make sense. Uh, uh, the corn won't grow because the ground's too hard. The water in the lake is turned to lard. The well caved in and the car give out. The house turned green and began to sprout. <laughs> Granny run in the kitchen, started wringing her hands, said the kudzu stole her frying pans. It's a sad situation down on the farm. Well, you could say, if you look at our environment, that 
it is a sad situation down on the farm. So that's that's Bright Blue Rooster. Sonny the Monkey is a pure story. It's about a monkey who wakes up and he's hungry and he's craving a banana intensely. And you wonder maybe why. So, of course, monkeys like bananas, but if you look at the curtains that many drew, they look like they've got two big bananas. Maybe that suggested it to him. And it's about his hapless quest for a banana. He runs into a fox who tricks him. Why? Why is he able to trick him? Because Sonny can't read. And so that's kind of what the story turns on. Mm -hmm. And uh, The descriptions of, by others of some of your, just maybe like the, the New York agents that you were talking to, uh, sort of painted a picture that you disagreed with about uh, the themes of the, the books. Uh, they were a little bit too dark for children. Uh, uh, but you have proven them wrong by taking serious subjects that even young children should know about and putting them in verse and in a way that they can uh, they can understand and uh, I would suggest maybe empathize with with what you're trying what your what your message is. I think that the best children's books do deal with heavy subjects, where the wild things are, the Wizard of Oz. Charlotte's Web, The Giving Tree, very tough subjects. And I think that children have much more perception than we give them credit for. And if we try to paint a false picture of life, they know that life is not all sunshine and roses. And if we try to present a, a false picture, I think they sense that. And I think if, if real subjects of real life are dealt with in an artful way and a sensitive way, I think they mean more to children uh, and they stick with them because they ring true. So after the, uh, uh, the monkey uh, book, um, wh what happened then? Well, uh, I was driving uh, into eastern Kentucky and uh, I don't sit down and write these rhymes. Okay, today I'm going to do three rhymes starting at 1030. <laughs> they just come when they come. But oftentimes, when I drive into eastern Kentucky, that's when the ideas come. And several years back now, I was driving, and uh, it just came into my head, crack, crack, crack. The hammer said that as he hit the nail three times. The nail said, Al, you're in trouble now. I'll law you for this crime. Well, you can read the Supreme Court minutes a long time, You'll see the word law, but you won't see it used as a verb. Mm. I'll law you for this. Mm -hmm. Well, that's something I heard growing up. Mm -hmm. Is I, that does that in in uh, Eastern Kentucky? Did that mean that you'd call the sheriff on them, or you'd get somebody to to uh, to come and and police them, or I'll means you'll take them to court. Uh huh. And uh, and I thought, well, if I could do a whole book of those that had that flavor that would be something that with the musical language and the form that would engage children that would be a good thing and this is always the way it works and I got well and I, I felt like I knew that with metaphysical certainty and then the next stage starts but then I go but I but of course I could never do that but I started fooling around with it and uh, uh, some of it uh, uh, walking uh, down on 2nd and 3rd Street among the Victorian houses, mm -hmm. which I got a taste for from the Charles Dickens novel I read at 12. And they started coming, and before we knew it, there were 50 rhymes. 
Now this next book uh, is not really presented as a sequel. This is a bigger book. There are 60 rhymes. Many made more than 170 carvings. This is our biggest effort. And this one I find, uh, without really, and of course when you're writing this, these things, th these, this book happened in nine month sequences. Nine months to write it, nine months working with many to do the 170 carvings, nine months recording the song that goes with it and doing the photography and layout, and about nine months working with University Press mm -hmm. to, get the, to get the whole thing done. Who did the photography? I did. You, you do that also? Yeah. So all of the, uh, what we see in, in front of me as I'm flipping through the pages, and uh, all, all of that is your work uh, That's right. uh, that, has been, that has been photographed. And, and you, do you do that in her home? Do you, do you take it to a studio? Or? I take it to my house. I have a room uh -huh. that it's either a photography studio or a recording studio or <laughs> a writing studio, depending on uh -huh. what's going on. Well, it's amazing. It really is. And, and so again, um, well, I'll tell you what, let me, I just flipped open here to uh, one of my favorite foods, biscuits. Okay. Uh, how to eat a biscuit. Why don't you read that, uh, or you may already have it memorized. Well, okay. Uh, and then I want to give you one that's a little, a little, uh, I hope it's tasty, but it won't be tasty in the same way as this okay. one. Okay. How to eat a biscuit. Before you bite, relish the smell. Two or three minutes will serve you well. The top's fried chicken, so down it goes. Next, the middle, that's mashed potatoes. Last, the bottom is apple pie. Take it slow, the end is nigh. <laughs> One last crumb towards your tongue. On the tip, down it slips. Sometimes pretend is better than real. Don't call it a biscuit. Call it a meal. <laughs> All right, that's how to eat a biscuit. Now you've got one there too that you want to uh, share. Well, I was going to say that when you work on a book like this, uh, when, when you're in the writing stage, you're kind of in a fog. That is, you know, these are coming out and you try to make each one as good as it can, but you don't know what the rhyme or reason is. But I found after I got a little distance from it and backed up and looked at them that the rhymes there's definite recurring unifying themes that run through these separate rhymes and they fall into different categories for example just for fun and yet a lot of them are just for fun but yet these themes keep reappearing mainly conflict and kindness in a lot of these rhymes and also uh, then many of them deal with the might of words some of them deal with the problem of time since mommy's getting a little long in the feather, it's not surprising that she'd be thinking about time. But then there's another category, what I'd call 21st century themes. And while these words are never used, and this wasn't really intended, but you live in this environment and it just kind of seeps in, there are ones that if you look between the lines, you can see things that maybe describe addiction, uh, gender roles, uh, the the contentious mood of our country right now, and bullying. And this one I'll say for you right here is about bullying. Of course, you read a lot about bullying these days on social media and in playgrounds and different places, but bullying is nothing new. We had plenty of it when I grew up in Jackson County. Just didn't call it that. It just didn't call it that, but anybody who looked different, sounded different, or acted a little different 
was liable to be bullied, and one way they would be bullied was they would be given a nickname. And it wasn't a nickname that they would choose for themselves. So this, this is a little story rhyme. If, and this will take about two minutes if you've got time Please. for it. And uh, it's about a boy who was di looked different because he was missing an eye. And it's called One-Eyed Jack. When One-Eyed Jack came to school, his classmates called him One-Eyed Fool. But when the teacher gave a test, his mark was better than the rest. He thought that this would end the curse, but no, it only made it worse. And worst of all was Betty Lou, once number one, now number two. She'd make odd faces behind his back, then close an eye to make them laugh. When teacher said that faces weren't nice, she'd hum the tune to Three Blind Mice. And through it all, Jack sat in his chair, his cards kept close, like he didn't hear. It was like a wall she couldn't break through. Each time he did nothing, her anger grew. One day after school, she ran ahead. When Jack came by, she turned and said, You think you're better on count of grades, but if you could, I know you'd trade. People act like they care for pencils and books. If they told the truth, they care more for looks. What you have one of, I have two. I'll always be that much more than you. Jack raised his head and made this reply. That last you said I'll not deny, but I see this with my one eye. You'll cry twice more tears than me, and half the bad you see, I'll see. And when I close this eye and sleep, my dark to yours is just as deep. The thing I have that's over you is to see more kindly with one than two. She stood, not knowing what to say. His words had taken hers away. And all the night she lay in bed, trying to hush the voice in her head. She kept to herself at school the next day, and when Jack was teased, had nothing to say. The others looked up to Betty Lou, and seeing she had stopped, they did too. The days grew frosty. Time wore its track, and school was just school, and Jack just Jack. He still had no friends and ate alone, but one day after the others had gone, she came to his table and looked in his face, and Jack moved over and made her a place. From that day on, they ate side by side, and soon others came to sit with pride. That year she gave just one valentine. It said, Dear Jack, will you be mine? That's Mike Norris reading from his uh, new publication, uh, that poem entitled One-Eyed Jack uh, from Ring Around the Moon, Mommy Goose Rhymes. Uh, Mike is available to uh, you, uh, your civic organization, your church, your group, your book club, uh, through our Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau. Uh, you have a couple of uh, presentations uh, plus uh, this new book. Uh, Mike, it's uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you here today. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here with you, Bill, and I'm glad to be here in this wonderful building where Kentucky Humanities is housed. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.